would like to start today's episode by thanking and congratulating Patrick Hornqvist, who last week announced his retirement from professional hockey. As many of you will remember, Patrick Hornquist was a huge, huge part of those back-to-back Stanley Cup champion teams, lining up alongside Crosby most of the time, Malkin a few times. Either way, as a Penguin, he was a top six forward, a huge contributor whenever they needed him the most. He scored that game-winning goal late in Game 6 of uh, the Nashville Predators series to win the Stanley Cup against the team that drafted him and inevitably traded him to Pittsburgh. Hornquist played 901 NHL games. 407 of those were with Pittsburgh. He spent six years here in Pittsburgh. Before that, he spent parts of six seasons with Nashville, as I mentioned, the team that drafted him, and then was traded in that Mike Matheson deal to Florida, where he played the last two seasons. Um, Last year, he only got to play 22 games because... He was injured. He did. He was not a part of that Stanley Cup run, uh, at least on the ice. But he had. He has two rings, so he still gets to go out as a Stanley Cup champion. One of the more interesting players, you know, a uh, not a huge guy, but I'd say definitely more of a power forward than anything. You know, he'd be getting into those dirty areas, slash away at uh, open pucks in front of the net and stuff. Just a. A type of player the Penguins really don't have anymore, or maybe didn't have before yesterday. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. But Patrick Hornquist, right wing, obviously, born on on, New Year's Day, 1987. So just, uh, what, eight months and seven days before his uh, line mate, Sidney Crosby. And in that Sidney Crosby draft where Crosby was picked first, Patrick Hornquist was picked with the last pick. And uh, it's uh, without going doing too much research onto it, I'm willing to bet that Hornquist had one of, if not the best career for a player picked last in the NHL draft. The Swedish-born forward will go down in uh, Pittsburgh lore, NHL lore, just a fantastic career. Obviously not a Hall of Famer, nothing like that. He did score 50 points in one, two, three, four seasons. He scored over 20 uh Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. He scored over 20 goals in eight seasons. Um, 30 goals once he got in his sophomore year. But great player. And congratulations and thank you, uh, Patrick Hornfist, for everything you've done for hockey and the Penguins organization. You will be missed. But it sounds like um, he won't be gone for long. It sounds like Bill Hulazito mentioned, uh, the general manager of the Florida Panthers, that they're going to look for something, uh, some kind of job or something to keep him around with with the team because he's a good influence. He knows his stuff. Uh, he's been around the game his entire life. So it sounds like he won't be, uh, he won't be longing for a job. He'll, uh, he'll, he'll be back in the NHL in, in uh, some capacity. Now it is July 2nd. It is uh, episode 16. I was going to just do a quick update video, but I decided might as well just get uh, episode 16 out of the way. But there's going to be updates uh, probably throughout the week. There's a lot that's going on right now, and there's a really, really big thing that may uh, come down here for the Penguins shortly. But Kyle Dubas did a tidy bit of business yesterday. He signed a good amount of players. But before I even get into that, I want to take you through the week take you through how we got here and uh, it's basically the context of the week kind of explains some of the moves that were made and I have some theories and some stories I'm going to go with Um, and also this isn't going to be the last time I talk about what happened yesterday or what's happening this offseason I'm looking for the next few weeks to have um, at least one or two guests on to talk more about the Penguins, some uh, you know, some some people I have connections with and whatnot, some people I would uh, I I have good. good rapport with, you know, and uh, who know their hockey. So we're going to see if I can uh, secure some of that for the next few weeks. But for today, it's just me and I want to run down what's happened over the last few days and how we got to July 2nd at 2.05 p.m., which is where we're at right now. All right. So, okay. Thursday was actually when uh, Patrick Hornquist retired, which is not the biggest news necessarily of the week in terms of the Penguins, but that is when that happened. And then Friday on 32 Thoughts Podcast, Elliot Friedman reported 
that Boston had a late, a last minute interview with Oliver Moore, who was inevitably drafted 19th, I believe, with the Detroit Red Wings. And Boston interviewed him because he was a guy that they were looking at. And if you remember correctly, Boston didn't have a first round pick. But at the last minute out on the draft floor, they were looking to get back into the first round. And how are they going to do that necessarily? Well, my theory is, and based on also the Tristan Jari resigning yesterday, I believe that Boston was working on a deal to move one of their goalies. Now, originally I was all in on Swayman. I thought it would be Swayman, but as the week went on, it seemed like Olmark was a guy who was being brought up and his he was being connected with Pittsburgh a little bit. My theory is Boston thought they were close to a deal for 14th overall for one of their goalies, which is the deal I thought was going to happen uh, for the longest time now. I thought Boston was going to trade one of their goalies because they're cap-strapped, uh, less so now than they were because they uh, let Bertuzzi test the market, although they may circle back there. I'm still not convinced he's going elsewhere quite yet, but when this podcast is uploaded, he'll probably be somewhere else. Um, but Allmark making $5 million this year next. Swayman... Not on a deal, um, but he's going to get a good amount. He's an RFA. They needed their need slash needed to move something. They did the Taylor Hall Felino deal. Yeah, okay, that that's fine. But they needed to move out more. They can't afford to to spend over ten million dollars combined in net, which is what they're on pace to do. Because Swayman, if he was a UFA, would be making well over five million dollars here. So, my theory is. Because Oliver Moore could have went around that 14th pick. He was projected 15, 16. He ended up dropping a little bit to 19. Boston thought that they were going to have a deal with Pittsburgh, moving one of those goalies, probably Allmark, and it fell apart. I don't know why. Maybe because a certain Swedish defenseman for San Jose became an option for Pittsburgh, and they decided they wanted to <clears throat> utilize uh, some some of that cap space for that and keep the sure thing in Tristan Jari, maybe. But I just think it's a very interesting situation there. And he didn't, Friedman did not furthermore on why they they were thinking they're going to get into the first round. He didn't say what team, he didn't have any theories proposed. But my theory is, because I'm a self-centered and the the world revolves around the Penguins, you know, uh, dude, I think that that is what that move was because if you look in that ra- in that range of the mid you know uh, the mid first round that like fourteen to like nineteen no one else really was big on needing a goalie other than Pittsburgh I think a hundred percent that there was really really deep discussions and I think it was close to having either Lena Solmark or Jeremy Swayman probably Lena Solmark. But one of them, I think, was very close to being a penguin, and something fell through. That's my theory. On go back a day from Friday to Thursday, Rob Rossi of the Athletic reported that Pittsburgh was looking at Noah Hannafin, and Noah Hannafin, uh, through connections that were close to him, basically said, uh, "You know, let it be known that he would be open to signing long term in Pittsburgh." Now, at the time, I really liked the idea. I thought, you know, Hannafin's a great player. Drafted by Carolina, we saw him a good bit. He got dealt pretty young to Calgary, and he's had a pretty good career there. He's a bigger left-handed defenseman. I was down with the idea, although it probably would have cost the Penguins a good bit of assets. But that deal is not going to happen now. The Penguins would go on to sign that replacement on the left side on free agency in Ryan Graves. So Noah Hannafin will not be a Pittsburgh Penguin, but at the time, I liked the idea. Now, before I get into the signings and how I feel about each one of them and everything, I would like to quickly give another round of thank yous out to Jason Zucker and Brian Dumoulin. Now, Dumoulin, more so than Zucker, was a huge part of this organization because he was here longer. He was a part of those Stanley Cup winning teams. Uh, Without him, we probably don't win at least one of those cups, if not both. At his prime, he was a defensive stalwart. I've mentioned this Every time I criticize Brian Dumoulin this season, that yes, he may not be performing well now, but at his best, he was something the Penguins hadn't had in that era of Penguins hockey. 
He was big. He didn't always throw the body around, but he was a bigger body. He was always willing to block shots, you know, and always willing to, uh, well, he was always the first guy back. He was always paired with Chris Letang. He was probably Letang's uh, D partner for the longest part of his career. I can't think of anyone else who was uh, partnered up with Letang as long as um, Duma was. But Brian Dumoulin was a huge part of this organization. Uh, he was traded as kind of a throw-in in that Jordan Stahl deal. He was drafted by Carolina. And then when Jordan Stahl refused to re-sign with Pittsburgh, uh, Carolina sent the eighth overall pick. Brandon Sutter, who those were the two big big pieces, the eighth overall and Brandon Sutter, because Brandon Sutter was going to be Stahl's replacement. And some defensemen no one really knew about that Gary Bettman got on and announced the trade and called Brian Dumoulin. But Brian Dumoulin ended up being a massive part of that defense, those Stanley Cup winning teams, and he deserves all the praise going out. And he got a good contract with Seattle. I think it's two years at 3.15, I believe. So not a terrible deal. Um, I think it's a, a bit much. I wouldn't have wanted him to sign that in Pittsburgh. That's a lot of money for the role he's going to be playing, because at least if he was still in Pittsburgh, because um, he's not as good as he once was. But, um, you know, good on him. He's getting the bag. And a lot of former Penguins have had success in uh, in Seattle. Jared McCann, Justin Schultz, Daniel Sprong. Uh, you know, it, it, he's going to be surrounded by guys he's familiar with, specifically uh, Schultzy, because uh, him and Schultzy were on that back end, of course, whenever they were winning uh, the Cups. But he also played with Jared McCann, so he knows him a little bit. Sprong signed elsewhere, so he's no longer in Seattle. But former Penguins have success in Seattle, so maybe there's something to it. He'll be have, he'll have some familiarity. Hope he succeeds. I wish him the best, obviously. And Jason Zucker. Now, I really, really wanted them to re-sign him. Up until the Riley Smith trade, uh, day of first round, I really wanted Jason Zucker to be a Pittsburgh Penguin again. And I, I said it for the same, I'll say it again for the same reasons I said before. He is a character guy. He's a locker room guy, a guy who plays with his heart on his sleeve and just is unique on that roster. He was a unique presence that the Penguins, you know, no one else on that team really possessed. But they traded for Riley Smith, and that pretty much ended, you know, any option of that. Um, happening of him bring, coming back, he signs a one-year deal with Arizona. I think it's a very interesting contract. He's 31, I believe. 5.3 was the was the deal for Arizona. He's going to play in a low-key market. If they really are bad at the deadline, they can flip him. They can retain half of his contract and flip him to another team. Although they don't have many retention spots left because of the whole uh, Oliver Ekman Larson thing, but it's besides the point. Um, they could definitely, he'll, he's the kind of player that a playoff team would love to have, and they would pay over a first at the deadline to get him if he's, you know, healthy, of course, because he, he's had, he's definitely had some durability issues, uh, you know, his entire career, but specifically his tenure with Pittsburgh, his first two seasons with Pittsburgh were pretty, you know, mid because he didn't play a whole, uh, a whole lot, but once this season he was healthy for the most part, he went off. And he's going to you know, be able to play with guys like Clayton Keller, Nick Schmaltz, if those guys are still there uh, next season. I think he's going to do okay. He's going to be one of the top two or three you know, play drivers on that team. I think he's going to be able to rack up points because here's the thing about the NHL. Every team needs guys to play, you know, or in like everyone, even the worst teams have got, have their top guys get 50, 60 points. So if Jason Zucker is that guy. He's going to get the bag next offseason. He's also and Arizona is going to get the bag for him at the trade deadline if they decide to get rid of him. I don't see them being in contention, so I don't see why they'd keep him. But then again, we like I mentioned, great character guy. All those young guys that are going to be pl- growing uh, the next season and playing for Arizona, if they're able to get any of those young guys um, out of you know the minors and juniors and bring them up. He's a great guy to have in that locker room. He's going to help some of those guys really, you know, make the transition from, uh, you know, juniors and minors into the NHL because he's a professional through and through. So I wish him all the best as well in Arizona. 
he's going to get up he's going to get points he's going to be successful and um they're going to love him down there they're going to absolutely love him in arizona the team and the fans are going to love jason zucker because he's just a great human being and a uh a great, a, an almost better player. You know, he's phenomenal. Last year, he really proved when everyone else was down and out on the second half of the season, <clears throat> Jason Zucker was not. He was giving his all and he did everything he could to make that push into the playoffs to no avail because the rest of the team stunk. Um, so yeah, Jason Zucker, Brian Dumlin, thank you for your service to the Pittsburgh Penguins and best of luck. Now to the guys who are coming in. A lot, a lot of movement happened yesterday. And if you go on cap friendly, uh, it says the Penguins are over the salary cap. But in a very, very, uh, you know, shy way, Kyle Dubas uh, alluded to at his press conference after most of the signings yesterday that uh, they have a plan to get under the cap. Did not specify, did not say what. I have a feeling that that involves a trade involving a certain Swedish defenseman on San Jose, but who knows? Who really knows? Um, they can also send one of their goalies down and bury most of that uh, salary. So, because right now they have three goalies, we'll get into that here in a second. But the signings, the signings, the signings, the signings, the signings, the signings. Let's take a peek of what Kyle Dubas got into yesterday. I'm not going to do this in chronological order. I'm just going to do it in terms of reading down from Cap Friendly and seeing who they signed. First one I'm going to mention here was Lars Eller. He gets a two-year deal worth $2.45 million. And the way I see it right now, if uh, if I'm right, which I could be wrong, I'm thinking Lars Eller probably best suited for a fourth-line center role. But I'm I'm thinking, my, my theory is, is that Grandlin's going to be gone. That's part of my my master plan. I think Granlin's going to be gone. I think Petrie's going to be gone. But you know, that's contingent on a lot. Um, I think you prefer Lars Ella, Eller at a fourth line center role, but I have him slotted in right now as the third line center. Not the best third line center. Uh, the problem I had with last year's team was the bottom six didn't have enough scoring, <clears throat> and. Lars Eller is not really going to help that, to be honest with you. He's not. His career high in goals is 18. His career high in points is 30, 38, no, 39, I'm sorry, um, which was in the 1920 season with the Washington Capitals. But he's 34. He's 34. He'll be the first Danish player in Penguins history, which uh, I forget who tweeted that out, but I saw that earlier. It's a pretty neat uh, little caveat there. He was drafted 13th overall in the uh, 2007 sorry, NHL draft by the St. Louis Blues. He has, he went from St. Louis and immediately was dealt after a year to the Montreal Canadiens, played a lot of his career there, Was uh, then, then went over to Washington where he spent many years. He got a Stanley Cup ring with the Washington Capitals. And then last year at the deadline, he was dealt to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, last season, his stats, let's take a look there. He had 10 goals. He had 13 assists for 23 points in 84 games because he was dealt to a team that didn't play as many uh, games as his former team. He ended up playing over the 82-game schedule. I like Lars Eller. He's a uh, he's a reliable fourth-line defensive center. I just don't like him at third-line center. But the way I see it right now, unless they plan on playing Carter, which they very well could, um, you know, maybe he's the third line center. If they end up playing Carter, I'm going to slot in Carter as third line center, which, Jesus Christ. Um, then there, there opens up a spot on the third line right. I'll move Nylander up there. And then I would put... Uh, I'd put Eller on the fourth line center and Achari on fourth line right wing. So uh, bottom six, uh, this is how I had it now that I uh, I possibly moved out Grandland. I have Drew O'Connor on the left third line, centered by Carter, and then Nylander on the right. And then on the um, fourth line, I got Nieto, Eller, and Achari. That is an all-defensive fourth line. I would really, and that's this is a caveat that Grandlin gets moved. Um, I'm not, I, I'm not 100 convinced that's going to happen. I thought that would have happened by now, but 
Kyle Dubas doesn't like buyouts allegedly, so I guess we can't we can't have everything that we want here in Pittsburgh. Um, but yeah, ideally Lars Eller is your fourth line center, but that's a very contingent on what they do because there's still guys on there's three guys on this roster right now that I'm convinced they don't want necessarily, and that they'd much rather prefer to ha- move their salary elsewhere. The well, one of them is Jeff Carter, and that's not going to happen because he has a no move. So they just got to deal with that one. But Mikhail Granlund, two years at $5 million, and Jeff Petrie, two years at $6.25 million. That right there is $11.25 million. And there's a certain Swedish defenseman on San Jose who's making eleven and a half if you're keeping track. But yeah, I, I don't know what his plan, what their plan is with Carter. I wish someone would have mentioned that at Dubas' press conference. Obviously, he's not the coach, so he doesn't have the full say in that. But that does change a lot of what is going to happen or what their plans are with these signings that they did make. But I want to move on to the other ones. Lars Eller, like I said, ideally a fourth-line center. May have to move up to third, depending on if they want to use Carter in that third slot or not. The other, well, one of the other forwards that they signed was Nolachari. 31-year-old forward, got three uh, three years at $2 million. Three years is a bit much for a bottom six guy. I don't love giving term to role players, you know, in the bottom six and whatnot. But he's unique. I really do like him. I really wanted him to be on the team whenever uh, I was making some of my articles about who the Penguins should look after. He is not a big scorer. He scored 20 goals randomly one season uh, with Florida in the 1920 season. But before, but other than that, the most he's ever scored was 10, which he scored uh, or four, he scored 14 last season. So I guess that would be his other career high. Um, he only has 100 career points in 384 career games. He is not known for his scoring, like I said, but big defensive uh, forward can play the PK like Eller can, and he throws body. Now he's only five ten, but he's two o three. So for five ten, he's a pretty strong, you know, dude. But he throws body. I think the stat was he led the playoffs with hits for players that were not in the Stanley Cup final. So even the two teams that made it to the conference final, Dallas and Carolina. Didn't even, they played extra games? They did not have a guy who played or who got more hits than Nolachari, and Nolachari literally was uh, out in five games in the, into the second round with uh, Toronto. He was he started with Boston. He was undrafted, but he was signed as an undrafted free agent out of Providence College by the Boston Bruins. Um, went on to play with the uh, the Providence the Providence Bruins, ironically enough, uh, before making his way up to Boston, played four parts of four seasons with Boston, and then went to Florida for three, then signed with St. Louis this this past offseason, and then was traded at the deadline to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, 65 career playoff games too, so he's you know he has experience in the playoffs. He is the perfect type of fourth line player for this team, in my opinion. Like I said before, they have they had no one on this team that was willing to throw body, willing to move bodies, and take the brunt of the physicality. Nolachari is not a big fighter, but you know what? He, he's going to let his uh, you know his hitting do the talking. And if I'm sure if they need a fight, he can be one of the guys to do it. Because I'm really sick and tired of seeing those top six guys, Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, get the brunt of all the physicality. Let Nolachari wear down opponents. Let him do it. Don't let Crosby, Malkin, and Gensel be the victims. Have a suspect on your team. And they have one now with Nolachari. That guy's going to be physical. Really, really like that deal. And also the cap is going to go up in the next few seasons. So three years at $2 million. By the third year, that's going to look like a steal of a deal. It's still, it looks like a good deal right now, honestly. $2 million for him is a very good deal. I thought Toronto may look to re-sign him. I'm sure he had other options too because he's such a unique player. But... Uh, Great work by Kyle Dubas. Second time Kyle Dubas brought him in, obviously. Brought him in at the deadline with Toronto. Uh, great deal. The last forward one, and then we're going to take a quick short break, is Matt Nieto. Nieto, who spent his career flip-flopping behind San Jose and Colorado. He was drafted by San Jose in 2011, a second-round pick. Played parts of four seasons in San Jose, then uh, parts of four seasons with Colorado, then three more seasons with San Jose before being dealt back to Colorado. So obviously those two organizations have a big affinity for uh, Matt Nieto, and this will be his first non-San Jose slash Colorado team he's played on. 
He has played 651 NHL games, which is a tight bit of work for him. Good on him. He has 199 points in his career, 85 goals, 62 career playoff games. But remember, he's played for the Sharks for a good bit. So, yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, like a depth player. I wouldn't mind him on your fourth line left wing, but I think ideally he's a depth forward. The 13th, 14th guy in, in, uh, that, that I'd prefer. He... He does. He hasn't made a ton of money in his career. Only ten million dollars. Uh, you know, uh, for a guy who's played as many games as he's had, he's had. Uh, he, he hasn't really cashed in on any big contracts quite yet. But uh, two years for him, I don't hate. You know, like I said, that's that's so such little money. Nine hundred thousand dollars. If it doesn't work out, if he ends up being you know terrible in the system, which I'm not expecting, you could throw him in Wilkes-Barre, and hit, all of his cap hit will be buried. So that's I'm totally okay with that deal. He uh, defensively, again, not a big scorer. He scored 15 goals once with uh, Colorado in the 17-18 season. Career high in points. That's his career high in goals. Like career high in points is 27. He got in the 14-15 season with San Jose. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's a great player. Um, can play on the left or right wing. Majority I've seen of him will be on the left from Long Beach, California. So interesting upbringing for a hockey player. Um, speedy. You know, can can do PK as well. A lot of the guys that Dubis brought in yesterday, analytically are uh, the forwards at least are analytically good defensively, not huge scores, uh, but can play. You know, PK as well. I'm not sure if Nieta is going to be one of their top PK guys, but he can. I'm sure if they need him to. I still think Achari and Eller are perfect for that. Um, for that for that role, Nieto to a lesser extent, but still a good player. No qualms with that deal whatsoever. When we come back, I'm going to talk about uh, the defensive signing they made, the goalie signings that they made, as well as a potential trade that is all the buzz in Pittsburgh. We will be right, right back. New customers, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code THPN. Bet just $5 to score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. In West Virginia, gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. All games regulated by West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In partnership with Hollywood Casino and Charlestown Races in Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. 21 plus in most states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after assurance. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Max bet $50. 10-plus leg parlay required for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. Welcome back. Now, time for less excited Lucas. But then we'll get to more excited Lucas again in a little bit. Um, so the signing that was made on the defensive end, I like it. I do. Uh, a lot of people were not happy with the Ryan Graves deal. I don't mind it. Yeah, four and a half million for six years was the deal Kyle Duba signed him to. Twenty-seven million dollars total. He was gonna get that kind of money. I saw some people who were wildly undervaluing what he would get in free agency. He played a huge part in that uh, New Jersey defense last year. He's, again, like the guys I mentioned on forward, he's not an offensive play driver. He's not going to get you a ton of points. He's just not. His career high is 28 points. He got that in his first season with New Jersey, so not last season, but the season prior in 75 games. He hasn't scored more than nine goals. He's a defender. I'm not sure what everyone's expecting here. But he's great defensively. He's a big body. He doesn't always throw a ton of hits, but he has the ability to. He's 28 years old too, so six years of terms, not terrible. He takes him until he's 34. He's like the best you know, defenseman on the team of that 
age group. I mean, him and Pedersen are going to be the, you know, the top four on the left side. That's a good top four on the left side. I really do like it. I have no qualms with it whatsoever. He's very, very sound defensively. I think this is kind of like taking a uh, like the Dumoulin of 2017 and bringing him back here, but better. I think Ryan Graves, his ceiling is pretty high. I I don't understand. There were uh, some podcasts I was listening to that said uh, they thought he was going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 million. That's preposterous. That That's absolutely craziness to me. His last contract, he was being underpaid. At he had three years at three point one six six million dollars. That was he was being underpaid there. Four point five is fine for him. It's really fine. He's going to play on the penalty kill. He's not going to be a power play guy, obviously, but he's going to be a reliable guy either alongside um, Latang or potentially Petrie, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, but he's going to be one of the top two pairing left-handed demon. And he's fine. He's great, actually. I was a real big proponent of it. In my article I wrote about defensemen in the free agency that uh, the Penguins should look after, he's the second one I put. And I thought he was a natural replacement for Brian Dumoulin. And I thought he would work really well under Mike Sullivan. And apparently Kyle Dubas agreed. We haven't seen him lace him up yet for the Penguins. So obviously... It, might, it may not work as uh, great in practicality as it does in theory, but I like the deal on July 2nd. And that's a, it's not something a lot of you know fans can say of teams because usually the July 1st deals are putrid. But there are people talking about this deal almost as bad, uh, almost like, you know, as negatively as they're talking about the Radko Gudis or Alex Kalorn deals. That's insane to me. Those guys got way overpaid. Gudis, I understand a little bit more, but Kalorn, my God, he got six and a quarter for four years and he's 33 or whatever. That's that's craziness to me. Ryan Graves is 28. He is a top four left-handed defenseman, very defensively reliable. I think if um, Vladislav Gavrikov made it to market, I think that would have been the guy they went after. But he re-signed in LA. Ryan Graves is fine. He's more than fine. He's great. I really, really like the signing. I liked him in Colorado. I liked him in New Jersey. And I'm happy he's ours now. And I'm happy that we took something from New Jersey because you know what? They got away with highway robbery with that John Marino deal. And now we took one of their defensemen back. So good on you, Kyle. I'm proud of you, buddy. On the goaltending side of things, Tristan Jari. That deal is jarring. See what I did there? Five years at $5.375 million for the 28-year-old Penguins goaltender. Modified no-trade clause. He has a 12-team no-trade list for the next five seasons. I have a th- I already told you what my theory was on it about the whole Boston thing. I have a feeling once the Boston deal fell apart that Dubas decided to go with the safer choice, which... I still don't think it's a safe choice, but I think he went with the uncreative choice. Maybe that's the better way to put it. Tristan Jari, in 2000, not 2000, in 206 games, he with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he has had an up and down career. Now, he played, he made his debut back in 1617 in one game. He had a 880, whatever. In 1718, he had a 908 save percentage in 26 games. 1819, he spent most of the season down in Wilkes-Barre, but his two games with Pittsburgh in 887. But down in Wilkes-Barre, he had a 915, not too bad. But the last four seasons uh, with Tristan Jari, uh, we are looking at in, in 1920, he played 33 games, 921 save percentage. That's great. In 2021, he played 39 games, 909, not as good. And then in his biggest playoff run that he was a part of which was that new york islander series six games 318 goals against average in an 888 save percentage that's really his only playoff series he's you know fully been a part of because of health but man that was terrible that was that series was lost by tristan jari plain and simple in the 21 22 season he played 58 games for the penguins 919 not too bad. Uh, 
problem was he was injured for the playoffs. He had one game, and that was Game 7 against the Rangers, and Panarin uh, eliminated the Penguins in overtime. Last season, 47 games played, uh, 290 goals against average, and a 909 save percentage. Not terrible, another 909, but the problem in all of these situations, uh, all these past seasons, you know, he's a two-time All-Star. So, you know, he, he has the skills. He has the all-star ability. The problem has always been with Tristan Jari, reliability. And it's just not there. When the Penguins need him to perform most, he vanishes. You can look at that playoff series against the uh, the Islanders. That's a lar- That's a six-game sample size, so not, not the hugest sample size, but he, he was unreliable for that series. Looked completely jarred, you know? In the must-win game, the end of this past regular season against Chicago, the thing, the game that changed hockey forever. It got Chicago Connor Bedard, and it got uh, Pittsburgh their first, you know, playoff non-playoff season in 17 years, and it got Florida to the final and into the playoffs. Obviously, because you know that that's the sequence of events the opposite way. He 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 fell apart. In five minutes in the in that in that third period, he ruined the course of hockey history. <laughs> but that's not I don't care about the outside stuff. I don't care about the Bedard or Florida or whatever. I care about the Penguins. His performance in that game cost them a playoff berth. Sure, they still didn't even win, end up winning the Columbus game, so maybe the point is moot. But he didn't even give them a chance. He did for the first part of that game, but then when the pressure was on, when the game was tight, and they needed him to be his best, he crumbled. But it's even more than that. It's more than just performance in big games. It's ability to have him play in big games. He played 47 games this season. There's 82 games in the NHL regular season. He barely played over half of them, and he is their starter, and he's getting paid starter money now. He was making 3.5, you know, that's, you know, bridge deal, whatever. He's on his big boy deal now. The most games he's ever played in a season was 58, and that was in the 21-22 season. And he had a pretty good season that year, but then he got injured for the playoffs. They were in the play- they were in the playoffs, started with the Smith, then had to end up riding Louis Deming for the, you know, middle six or I guess five in the end of game one, games of that series against the Rangers. I I, I really, I, I don't rely on Tristan Jari. And I don't, and Kyle Dubas kind of just state his reputation on this guy. You know, Kyle Dubas has never been willing to pay a goalie really to stay around. If you look in Toronto, he had uh, he started with Anderson and uh, who was his backup then? I think he had maybe it was, was it Enroth he had for a while or that may have been Lou Lamorello. He had Curtis McElhaney for a while. That's one. Um, and once Anderson's deal was up and he needed he wanted to go out and go get big money, he let him walk when he was a UFA. He let him walk, and then from that moment on, he was buying cheap parts to put in net. He did Mrazek. Ended up being too much money. Sent him away. Got Murray at retained. Kind of didn't really work out well. But he's still in the organization. Got Samsonov. He's he did a really good season. But he still needs a new deal now. He was only making one point eight with Toronto. This is the first time that Kyle Dubas is really invested in a goaltender. And like for more than a year or two, he st- was basically staking his reputation. And his, uh, you know, his job on this, which he, he, he has the job secured. He knows that. So I guess when you have a seven-year deal as president of Hockey Ops, you can do that. Because you're going to be there long past Tristan Jari, probably. Or at least you're going to be, be getting paid long past Tristan Jari. I just don't see how you can invest in a goalie who's been that unreliable. I just don't. Now we're in the era of goaltenders where goaltenders don't play 60, 65, 70 games necessarily. Most most goalies don't. Unless you're a superstar goalie and you're you don't have a, you know, solid enough backup behind you, you're not going to be playing all those games. 
But for Tristan Jari to be making five, almost and a half million dollars, you need to be playing 55 games because the options behind you aren't necessarily, it's not like a 1A, 1B situation. Tristan Jari's the one, and whoever ends up being behind him, if it's DeSmith or Nadalkovic, who was the signing, the backup signing, they're not, they're, they're not in your tier. At least they shouldn't be. If they are on your tier, then the signing was way worse than people people think now. So, of all the moves that Kyle Dubas did yesterday, I, I I'm not alone in this. You can go on Twitter if it works for you, because uh, that's been a big problem. That was the worst problem yesterday. Just on the day of free agency, Twitter doesn't work. Unreal, unreal. But they invested five years in Tristan Jari. You need him to really focus on his health here. Whatever was ailing him at the end of last year, it was some groin, hip, lower body thing. I don't know what it was. But you, if you're Kyle Dubas, you need to be assured that he is going to get that fixed and he's going to get it better. I heard some things about the training staff in Pittsburgh getting let go with with like the Hextall group that you know, and they're they're bringing in their own people now and like new people. I don't care who is there. I don't know the training staff people at all. So I, I have no connection to that. I, I just need to make sure Tristan Jari is healthy enough to play 55, 60 games. 55 is probably fine. But when the time comes for him to play those big games, he needs to be healthy. He needs to be. He hasn't been. And if that's the problem with those the pressure situations which you look back at the end of last season at Chicago game, maybe he wasn't healthy. Then that's that's the problem then. And it's not like it's just like, oh, you can not you can just blame it on, you know, bad luck. It's not bad luck anymore. At this point, Tristan Jari and the team need to focus on his health and making sure that he is okay. Because you've invested a lot in this. He is now the th- one, two, three, four, five, sixth highest paid player on this roster. You got more money than Ryan Graves. Probably probably makes sense, you know? But five years. I thought Tristan Jari, if he was going to come back to Pittsburgh, was going to get a two- to three-year deal because I thought there was a trust issue there. But no. Kyle Dubas bet on this guy. And Tristan Jari better not let him down. He better not let this organization down. There's a lot of weight on his shoulders right now. The Penguins let Marc-Andre Fleury go in favor of Matt Murray. Then they let Matt Murray go in favor of Tristan Jari. Now Tristan Jari was available to leave, and they kept him. So out of all of these dominoes that have fallen, somehow Tristan Jari is the last one to be standing. And he didn't get let go. Like I said, I'm confident that there was a deal with Boston. I think if that had gone through, then Jari wouldn't be here. He wouldn't have gotten that deal. But the fact he did get five years makes me think that that deal fell through, obviously, and then there were other teams that were interested in Jari. Ottawa signed Corpusalo. So they were in the market looking for a free agent goalie. Maybe they were looking at Jari. LA desperately needs a goalie right now. They got Cam Talbot as their best option, and then Phoenix Copley. If that's a really good roster over in Los Angeles, I don't love that. Uh, I don't love that tandem at all. Copley had a great year, but you're going to tandem him with uh, Talbot? No, I don't like that at all. I think LA probably was interested in Jari. Probably there's more teams I'm not even thinking of right now. Maybe before they signed Anderson and Ranta again, maybe uh, Carolina looked at Jari. Keep him in the division. I don't know. But it's it's a lot for the player he is, for the, the the physical body he is. Not that he's not talented. He's a skilled goaltender. Like I said, all-star. But you need to stay healthy, and you need to be able to play... You need to be able to play healthy. Don't just play because you're injured. You need to be able to be healthy. Stay healthy for the entire regular season 
and play playoff games for this team. If he can do that next season, I'll eat my words. I'll 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 say that it was a good signing. You know, he doesn't even need to be a nine fifteen goaltender. If he can stay a nine oh nine, but be healthy the entire season, I'm okay with that. That's fine. It is just his health, his reliability that I'm worried about when it comes to Tristan Jari. But Jari wasn't the only signing in goal. As I mentioned, Penguins also signed Alex Nedeljkovic to a one-year, $1.5 million deal. Nedeljkovic was once upon a time a Calder finalist when he was drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes second round in 2014. He's from Parma, Ohio, which if you're a Penguin fan is not too far from Pittsburgh and, you know, Western Pennsylvania. He was traded after Carolina did not want to re-sign him to Detroit. He played two seasons there. He played uh, the 21-22 season as their starter. And then last season, he split time between Grand Rapids and Detroit. He's played 103 NHL games. Not a lot, not a huge sample size, and people already wanted to give up on him. He is 27, as I mentioned, but only 103 NHL games, and he played for Carolina whenever they were still like kind of up and coming a little more. Detroit was just a bad team; like they had higher expectations, and they and they did not execute on that on those expectations whatsoever. So, I don't want to lay all that on Nadalkovich. Now his First, you know, real season with Carolina where he played more than single digit games was 2021. And he played 23 games that season, 932. And he had 190 goals against average. Great season there. They played nine games in the playoffs, posted a 920 with a 217 save percentage in the playoffs. That's fantastic. Then he had his season where he was the starter in Detroit, 59 games, which was over half of his career games, just that in that one season alone. He had a 901 and a 331 goals against average in front of or behind a really bad Red Wings team. And then last season, he split time. He only played 15 games in Detroit, had an 895, which isn't bad because his goals against was 353. That's that tell, that goes to show you how bad of a team he was playing behind. Obviously, they have a good defender in Mo Sider, but that's it. That is all they had uh protect that was, you know, standing between Nadelkovich and opposing forwards. That's it. So I'm not ready to give up on Alex Nadelkovich. Still not too old of a player. He's 27. I think he's still pretty young. That's how I view him. Um, and he has not, doesn't have a huge sample size in the NHL. I think ideally, he if you can pass him through waivers, that's your third guy. Which Detroit was able to pass him through waivers last year. He was uh, He was in Grand Rapids for a good chunk of the season. But then again, opposing GMs really don't like Kyle Dubas, so maybe they'll claim Nadogovich just to mess with him and be uh, pricks about it. I don't know. But I'm not ready to give up on him. I really hope he does work out. And then there's also a, tr- a chance that they move to Smith or maybe to Smith becomes, becomes the third guy. If either one of those guys get buried, to Smith or Nadogovich, most of their contract, uh, you know, their, their cap hit goes away. Only a small, uh, a small portion of it would still be up with the NHL team. I think with Nadalkovich, it'd be around two, three hundred thousand, and then with the Smith, it would be I think five or six hundred thousand dollars. So those were the moves in net that uh, that had happened. Uh, but 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 I'm looking. Okay, so no no news since I started, which is good. Um, trying to make sure I'm on top of everything, but. Okay, I'm just checking here. Okay, not nothing, nothing of significance. Um, last thing I want to talk about before I head out: a lot of rumors right now between Pittsburgh and a certain Swedish defenseman that plays for the San Jose Sharks. His name you may have heard of him, Eric Carlson, future Hall of Famer Eric Carlson. Thirty, how old is Eric Carlson? Thirty-three year old Eric Carlson. Just turned 33 at the end of May. Um, he's coming off of his best offensive season of his career. And that says a lot because he's a three-time Norris winner. 101 points in 82 games played. 
25 of those were goals, which is insane. 76 assists, insane. 101 points, craziness. Minus 26, not great. It is well documented that Eric Carlson is the best offensive defenseman of his generation. And defensively, awful. Not a good defender in his own end. Um, is that enough for me to, you know, have an issue with that? No, not at all. If the Penguins can make that work, which I've looked at the, the numbers, I think it could work. I, I don't. I don't, I don't see how you can't go after that. And there's a thing that Duba said. At any time, there's a there's a player of that caliber that comes available uh, throughout my time here, especially in this next stretch. Um, it's probably realistic to think that we'll we'll be involved or see if there's a way that we can be involved and, and add them to our group. When a player of that caliber becomes available, when you have a core like this, you're obligated to go after it. Which, it was not the theory that uh, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke had whatsoever, because during their tenure, they just completely ignored any superstar players that were made available. But that is, A, a good sign of things to come. I love that Kyle Dubas is going to go after elite talent, because that is what I've been preaching ever since the Vegas Golden Knights won. The one thing you can learn from that playoff run, that Stanley Cup run, is that sometimes you need to be gutless and heartless. Sometimes you need to just completely disregard your emotions and your connections to a player as a fan base, as, an, as a management group, as a coaching staff. You need to just ignore it and go after the elite talent. Vegas got rid of superstars. They got rid of their fan favorites. Not not superstars. They got superstars. They, get, they got rid of their fan favorites to do, to do that. Alex Tuck was huge in Vegas. Dealt for Eichel. You know? They got rid of Flurry to fit in guys. They got rid of Nate Schmidt to fit in guys. Who did they get in in those cap slots? Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty before he got kicked to the can too. Alex Petrangelo. When elite talent becomes available in the National Hockey League, you go after it. And that's what Kyle Dubas seems like he's going to be doing. And Pittsburgh is one of, I believe, two or three teams that are in on the Eric Carlson sweepstakes right now. It's between, according to Friedman uh, and some other insiders, it seems like Carolina and Pittsburgh are at the forefront. Seattle is in there a little bit, but it seems like they're lesser into it. And I'm saying this mainly because I don't want Carolina to have him. I'd prefer him to go to Pittsburgh. But it also just doesn't make sense for Carolina because we've seen the Burns-Carlson duo before and it didn't work. It, they, they were together in San Jose for years and it did not work whatsoever. There's one puck on the power play, you know? And this is going to sound hypocritical because the Penguins do have Chris Letang, but you know what? If you have Eric Carlson on the Pittsburgh Penguins, Letang may still be on the first power play, but he's not the quarterback of that power play anymore. He's not. Move him to the wing. Move him up. Move him to the other side. Who cares? Eric Carlson on any team he's on other than maybe Colorado. He's the quarterback of your power play. He is your top offensive defenseman option. Offensive zone start, you know, uh, defenseman. Whatever. He's your top guy. And a way to make it work, it's pretty simple actually. You remove Jeff Petrie from the equation. You remove... uh, Mikhail Granlin from the situation. And all of a sudden, you have room to fit Eric Carlson's salary. Uh, I already removed Granlin, but these are the lines I have set up now without Granlin, without Petrie, with Carlson. And it's not terrible. First line, I have Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby, Brian Rust. You can swap Brian Rust with the second line right wing. I really don't care. Second line, I have Riley Smith, Evgeny Malkin, Ricard Raquel. Again, I wouldn't hate to see Ricard or Raquel on the first line or the second line. doesn't matter too much to me. Uh, third line, Drew O'Connor, Jeff Carter, Alex Nylander. I would really like to see Carter not there, but if you're getting rid of Granlund, um, you kind of run out of options for third line center. Unless you want to move Eller to third line center, and put Carter on the uh, fourth line. I'm going to type that out just to see what it looks like. It's not terrible either. 
So Drew O'Connor, Lars Eller, Alex Nylander, two guys that are more offensively inclined on the wings and a defensively-minded forward uh, at center. I don't hate that. Fourth line, I have Nieto, and then either Eller or Carter, depending on who you want to put there, and Achari. Don't hate, don't hate that. Again, don't love Carter, but I don't hate the line. It's okay. The fence is where it gets really good. Ryan Graves, Chris Letang, Marcus Patterson, Eric Carlson, the all-Swede pairing, POJ, Jan Ruda, and you have uh, Ruido as an extra defender. Then in net, you have Jari, and then either Nadelkovic or DeSmith, since, uh, you know, just for the sake of things, I'll put DeSmith because he's getting paid more, so he's probably the more likely backup. So with that, all you need is your extra forward, or two, and you're pretty close to the limit there, to the salary cap limit there. They may have to roll with just one extra on each, you know, on one on, one on forward, one on D. I don't know if they'll have the salary cap to do it. But that pretty much gets them close, right around the salary cap. Granlin makes five. Pedersen makes 6.25. That's $11.25 million. Works out nearly perfectly for Eric Carlson. Rumor, but there's a rumor that uh, Carlson is going to be put through a third team and retained. So if that's the case, and you can still get rid of the, both of those players, Petrie and Granlin, you're even going to have more salary caps. You can even go sign a two extra depth forwards, run a full roster every night, and have the two, the uh, three extras, either two on defense and one on forward, or two on forward, one on defense. I think it could work. The rumor team, last night at least, of how uh, they would get that to work uh, financially is that they would run him through Seattle and then send him to Pittsburgh. So Seattle would retain a little bit and then, uh, you know, San Jose would move. And I was talking with some friends yesterday and I was trying to figure out what could work. So uh, the rumored name a couple nights ago was Capo Kakinen. The uh, San Jose was looking to get rid of him. Um, so Seattle lost Martin Jones. They still have Grubauer, and they re-signed Joey Decord. But if they're looking to move Capo Kakinen, maybe Seattle wants him. Seattle could hypothetically want Capo Kakinen from San Jose. San Jose lost James Reimer to Detroit. Uh, so right now, the only goalie that they have outside of Kakinen, if they're looking to get rid of Kakinen, is uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, who they just traded for and signed. So could it be possible that they want DeSmith, that the Penguins could interest him in DeSmith? They didn't really mention that. Penguins also just made a couple depth signings today, one of which was Magnus Helberg, who's another goalie. Do you want four, you know, borderline NHL goalies, goalies deep? Or do the Penguins want to move one of them in a potential Carlson deal, which would likely be DeSmith? So could DeSmith go to San Jose in a possible deal? Maybe. But those are the little intricacies of the deal. I'm broader strokes. What needs to move out? It's Petrie. Petrie needs to move out, and it works out perfectly because earlier last week, we heard rumors, I think it was Frank Saravalli of Daily Faceoff, mentioned that San Jose was interested in Jeff Petrie. Works out perfectly. Like a glove to a hand, that one works out fine. So Petrie would be going to San Jose. Granlund. Granlund would need to go out too to make that deal uh, happen, in my opinion. If they retain a, a good, if San Jose and or Seattle retains a good chunk of Carlson, then maybe you don't have to move Granlund. But ideally, I think you're getting Granlund out of the equation if you're bringing in Carlson just for finances. And also, I just don't like Granlund. So say Granlund goes to San Jose as well. They have money, they have cap space, they can probably take him. Um, Carlson gets retained some, I'm assuming, by San Jose, and then some by Seattle. Or else you wouldn't move him to Seattle. Um, what would Pittsburgh have to give up a value? Because there, Petrie probably has a little bit of value, I'm assuming, on the trade market. But more so, if you're from Pittsburgh, you're just dump, dumping him to move out the roster spot, move out the contract, whatever. Um, there's a spot on the right side that's open for Jeff Petrie if Carlson's being moved on San Jose. So that makes sense to me. But of sub of substance, there needs to be a first round pick moving. Likely well uh definitely to San Jose. 
San Jose values Eric Carlson. Now, if you told them, I think a year or two ago about moving him, they were going to, they would probably have to have, attach a first round pick to him. It's crazy. The career turnaround that Eric Carlson's had over the last season. It's, it's preposterous. And even with retention, that contract will worry me. He's not a young player. He has four years left at that $11.5 million. I expect it to you know, decrease Excuse me, that salary. But four years left for a guy who's had health issues uh, is still worrisome. But, I mean, how fun would that be? That's what I keep coming back to. Is, yeah, you know, might suck in a few years. But the four years he's left, if he can stay healthy... He's going to be the Penguins, you know, power play quarterback. He's going to be a superstar in this team. He makes them such more of an offensive juggernaut than they already are. And I think Crosby, Malkin, and even Latang deserve to have more elite talent around them and have another chance at a Stanley Cup. And Eric Carlson gives them that. What was their problem last year? Other than everything. Yeah, Jari was unhealthy. Yeah, the defense had some flaws throughout the season. But at the end of it all, the biggest gripe that was holding uh, you know, Penguin fans away from the team, that they the you know, the biggest issue was they couldn't score enough. The only people that were scoring were the top six. Eric Carlson is going to make players score. He got a hundred and one points on that putrid San Jose team. Imagine what he could do playing alongside Crosby, Malkin, Gensel, Raquel, Latang. I the, the possibilities are endless. And honestly, like I said, whenever I first heard about this, I was completely worried about that contract. I was like, that does not sound good with Pittsburgh. But there's been more talk about something, some retention happening. Puts me a little more at ease. And the possibility of Eric Carlson putting on a Penguin jersey. And I'm so, so happy to have a general manager, president, whatever you want to call Kyle Dubas. I'm so, so happy to have a guy like him in charge that is openly talking about wanting to bring in elite talent and willing to take risks to do it. I don't know what the cost will be. It may end up being more than all of that. I'm, uh, it may end up, you probably have to send something to Seattle to take some money back. Maybe you send the first to San Jose and you send a second to Seattle or you know, second and a fifth or a third or whatever. I don't know what it's going to cost. I have no idea what the cost of retaining salary is or at least how Seattle views it. Because remember, whoever retains on Carlson is going to be doing it for the next four years. So if, C- if San Jose does it, they have to spend money for four years. If Seattle does it, they have to do it for four more years. If any other team decides to help, it's four years. So and and if they if he ever if he ever ends up getting bought out, it extends. Look what happened with Oliver Ekman Larson and uh, Arizona; they now have to retain on him for a long time because of that buyout. So, in summation, yes, it's kind of crazy to think that the Penguins would try and could fit Eric Carlson on this team, but. This would be his first chance in a long time at a Stanley Cup. I believe that. I believe Eric Carlson could push this team over the edge because they needed scoring. And this guy was able to help a team that could not score for the life of them. He was he set a record amount of points on defense on that team. If he can just stay healthy... And if he's a little cheaper than what he is right now, it, it's a home run move. It's a home run move. And you, I will drive Mikhail Granlin and Jeff Petrie to the airport <laughs> to get this deal done. And you will not, you will, you will not, you know, regret moving a first for him or first and a second or whatever, as long as he can stay healthy. Which sounds a lot like that Tristan Jari topic we just covered so a lot of everything in Pittsburgh or at least for the Penguins here uh, revolves around staying healthy and if Eric Carlson comes if Tristan Jari comes this team could have a very successful season next year if they can stay healthy 
but the Penguins aren't the only team in on him. Like I mentioned, Carolina looks like they're in on him. Doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but they're interested. If Seattle wanted them wanted him for themselves, they need a superstar. They don't have a ton of marketable players right now. They still are kind of on their expansion grind of guys who are, you know, if you remember the Golden Knights expansion, they're kind of just the Golden Misfits. It's kind of what they're where they're at right now. I really want Eric Carlson now, <laughs> um, but I'm not expecting it. It's it'd be fun to have. It'd be cool. I've talked to many people about it. We we you know, obviously Penguin fans would welcome him. He would be the first. He he'd be the biggest deal the Penguins have done in a long time. That if you remember, obviously July first, twenty fifteen, the Penguins signed uh, the traded for Phil Kessel. No offense to Phil Kessel. He's one of my favorite players of all time. I don't think the Penguins have traded for a guy at that level of Eric Carlson in a long time. This isn't a Jim Rutherford deal. Probably isn't even a Ray Shiro deal. This is a bigger deal than what we've ever seen, probably. And I don't mean assets going in and out. I'm talking about the caliber of player that you're able to bring in here. At his best, the Norris Trophy winner. Penguins haven't had a Norris Trophy winner since. Randy Carlisle. Yeah. So, I'm on board. I'm, I'm completely on the, uh, the Carlson train, the EK train. But, you know, I'm not going to be too disappointed if it doesn't happen because I'm not expecting it to happen. I just got done having Ron Hextall and Brian Burke as this team's leadership for the last few years. My expectations are very low. That's why when I saw the Nolachari signing, I, I, my, my lights, I mean, my, uh, my eyes lit up <laughs> legitimately. I was like, Oh, nice. Cool. That's a good one. But yeah, in all, I think Kyle Dubas had a good July 1st, but I have a feeling he's going to have an even better rest of his, uh, rest of the summer. I think the Eric Carlson thing can happen soon. Sounds like there's movement. This morning, he officially and formally requested a trade. So I have a feeling things are going to happen here quickly. And I'm probably going to have to make another emergency episode here at some point soon. We'll keep an eye on it. But I'm going to leave that for now. Thank you very much for listening to this very long episode of the Penscast. This was the July 1st review update a lot has happened and a lot more is going to happen like i said i'm going to try to have some people on next week to discuss this because this is an echo chamber i'm literally hearing myself talk every episode for an hour long at some point it'd be fun to get some other people's opinion on here and have a little bit of discourse you know but we'll see i'll do my best uh, see who i can uh, get into the fold but until then thank you very very much for listening and i'm sure i'll be talking to you guys again soon uh, there was a lot of talk on the outside, at least uh, this afternoon, about you guys making a serious run at uh, Eric um, Carlson. Yep. Was that accurate? And if so, is it still viable? Um, I, I think that any time, well, I think largely um, as we get to know each other better here, I think as, when there's a player like that that comes available, um, I think it wouldn't, especially with the core group and how special that core group of people is in, in, in the room, both the coaching staff and the players and, and, the, and the group that surrounds the team, anytime a player like that becomes available or talked about, we'll, I think it's incumbent on me to reach out and see if there's a fit there for us. And um, that was the way that, uh, that I viewed that entire...